Welcome to the Philip Levy Show, discussing health, wealth, and life. Here we go. I was not the best student back in school. I've been told by those who know me that this is not hard to believe. I have a short attention span, and my curiosity, while it has opened many doors for me as an adult, well, it got me into some trouble as a younger man. It's 2006, and I'm on my first lap as a senior at the College of Charleston. I was in full swing as a kitchen rat in one of the largest and busiest restaurants in the city. For those uninitiated, a kitchen rat is any person who braves the trenches of the culinary world. This is a term of endearment because in that world, you have to love what you do. The restaurant was a rooftop establishment and along with running the back of the house, there was a nightclub below. It came to my attention that there was an opening for a house DJ on the weekends. The club and restaurant were owned by the same people, so I had an easy end to fill the position. We'll save the details of this establishment for another story, but for now, it's important to know that the world we lived in, it wasn't exactly late nights in the library spent cramming for tests. I'm 20 years old, still a child. I'm running a kitchen with my best friend. The kitchen would close around 10 p.m. I'd stroll downstairs and set up my DJ booth for the long and usually incredible night ahead. Who could want more out of life? Was there any higher position to a 20-year-old kid from Memphis? It was because of these factors and a few others that class was not at the top of my list of priorities. I had a career. I was set. This particular story begins at around 11.30 p.m. on an off night from the DJ life. These were the days when we didn't even get to the bar until midnight, so it was still pretty early. It was a Wednesday night, and I was with my good friend Mike. We were fraternity brothers from the same pledge class, and we decided that the way the Greek system was set up, we were just paying for people to drink with, and it really wasn't for us. This seemed a little silly since they were everywhere on campus for free, so after pledging together and making it through Hell Week, we quit the Greek system together too. Mike was a musician. Still is. Playing the bars around town, he could wail on the guitar and had a talent for covering Eddie Vedder. This particular evening, I had gone to see his show at a little spot called The Blind Tiger. We were hanging out afterward, and we were deciding where to head to next. So we loaded up his gear and his guitar, then drove up to the northern end of King Street. We parked just off the main drag in a dimly lit spot, just a few street light spots from King Street. One spot, two spot, three spotlights coming down from the street lamps above. Mike said he needed to meet a guy about a thing. Ominous, right? I didn't think anything of this, and plus I didn't know this person. But mainly, those skinny little iPod shuffles had just been released. You know, the kind with the touch wheel. High tech back then, right? If you really went all in on the memory, then you could hold up to 300 songs. Anyway, I told Mike I would wait in the car and play with his gadget and listen to some music. Mike gets out of his car with me in the front seat scrolling away. As he does, another guy gets out of his car across the street and up toward the lights of the main road. My lizard brain scans the scene. Mike is taller than me, but about 25 pounds lighter. This guy is not as big as Mike, so nothing sets off the primal threat radar. I'm sitting in the dark, scrolling through the music selection, head down and focused. About 30 yards up from the car that I'm sitting in, Mike and the guest are having a conversation beneath the streetlight. 
It's at this point that three unknowns stroll in from King Street and onto the stage with Mike's off-the-main-path rendezvous point. Seeing movement, my eyes come up from the iPod to assess. First threat on the mental checklist of any college kids. Are they cops? They aren't walking like law enforcement. These three also lack the silhouette of uniforms. No bulky vest, radar, or cargo pockets. First threat on the checklist is a pass. As I peeked up from my doom scroll, the problem that I saw with this group was the way they moved. They walked with just a little too much swagger, too much confidence. Something about how they carried themselves kept my attention. As they closed to within a few yards, they were beginning to fan out around my good friend and whomever he was speaking to. Then the arms went out. They were here on business. In any other scenario, this could have been someone having a religious experience. It could be someone coming in for a big hug, maybe just enjoying a summer rainstorm. But the streets were dry, and something about these guys said they didn't come to hug it out. The leader of this trio was sporting the universal sign of, Come at me, bro. As the swagger kids had begun to fan out, I put the iPod down and reached for the door. Once the arms of the Messiah went up, I quietly pulled the handle and opened it. There were now a pack of five under the orange lamps of the summer night. One friendly, one undecided, and three highly likely to be very unfriendly. They were talking about something, but from my distance of about 30 yards or so, I couldn't hear what they were saying. I wasn't thrilled with the escalating body language, so I quickened my pace towards the group. During the summer in Charleston, it was always very hot. This one was no different, so I had on flip-flops. Not ideal for sneaking. I didn't want to give off that telling clack-clack of sandal popping against the bottom of the heel, so I slid my feet across the street as I approached. Fifteen paces out. It was then that the leader of the trio brought his arms from the air and back to his sides. They did not stay there long. One of his arms, his right arm, came back up. It came back up with a bald fist at the end. It came up fast. It came up so fast that my friend Mike didn't see it coming. It came up so fast that he didn't have time to react, so it found its target. Mike took that fist right to his nose and immediately brought his hands up to his face. Beneath the streetlights were full of shadow, but you could still see the liquid pouring from between his fingers. He was done pretty good. The assailants now turned their attention, and it became clear that these gentlemen of the night were not here for Mike, but for whomever he was here meeting. They now began a similar engagement with him. However, it was less dramatic with the element of surprise now gone. One of the reasons I like Mike is his outwardly sarcastic nature. It is something that I easily relate to. These guys were here for the mystery man, but looking back, it's no surprise that Mike got hit first. Once the three turned their attention from Mike to the mystery man, I had ditched my efforts at being quiet. It didn't matter, though. I'd already closed the distance. My approach went from ninja stealth and was shifting quickly to berserker barrage. Let's step back for a moment and paint a quick picture. At this phase in my life, I'm sporting a self-styled faux hawk, and I'm fully invested in my don't-fuck-with-me-I-work-in-the-trenches-of-the-kitchen personality. For a time, I made and sold t-shirts for a few small local brands. 
My ensemble was topped off with a self-printed tight black t-shirt and a thick silver chain around my neck. Working at night in kitchens and clubs didn't provide much opportunity for sun tanning, so I've got the angry vampire vibe going on pretty strong. At 5'11 and a solid 185, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but I am furious. I'm furious and I'm coming straight out of the shadows, right at the people who broke the nose of one of the nicest guys in town. Back to our story. The group turns to see a pale swath of rage moving fast out of the shadows. I've never been good at keeping secrets and what's painted on my face communicates my intentions clearly. The assailants divert their attention from Mystery Man to address this new variable in the equation. Now upon arrival, as they approach their original targets of Mike and Mystery Man, the band of three spread out into a three-pronged fork. I am now approaching this trident toward its outermost prong, the one farthest from King Street. This means that the guy who broke Mike's nose is right in the middle. I'm after him. I'm after their leader the one who did the nose-breaking. The person I arrive at first was not him, so my focus is getting to the middle prong. The outside guy runs interference and does the classic hands-up-in-defense, sir, you don't need to concern yourself, it's not what it looks like, gesturing. Meanwhile, the one who did the deed starts grinning and taunting as they all begin to backpedal back towards the lights of King Street. I may have neglected to mention that these three were cowards. The taunting from the leader has its intended effect. I increase my pace and begin to describe in colorful detail what's about to happen to him. This threat is in part truth and part distraction. As I voice my intentions, I simultaneously elbow check and shove first prong aside. I move around him toward the middle prong, one step closer. The gap widens between us as they quicken their retreat towards King. I close the distance. We're now just a few paces from the nightlife of King Street when I catch a glimpse of something out of place. It's situated through a window just to my 10 o'clock. Now, King Street is an old street, one of the original veins of commerce in Charleston, South Carolina. Because of this, King Street is also a very long street that runs all the way from Battery Park and the Bay, several miles up past the peninsula and into the landlocked parts of the city. The area where we are, where this is going down, and from an architectural standpoint, had been largely untouched by development since the early 20th century. The structures consisted of one or two-story affairs with an apartment built on top of a small business. These business parcels all have huge glass windows for displays and properties at the block's end also had large display-style windows, but they meet to form the corner of the actual building. These corners served two purposes. They were designed to support the structure while providing maximum advertisement space for the small business. Some of the supports were built with steel poles that sit just behind the space where the two pieces of glass join to make a corner of glass. The older units were constructed of brick and mortar at the corners. The group coming out of the alley this warm summer evening was approaching one of the older structures of brick and glass. We're now five paces from the street. As the band of cowards draws back toward King Street, they were angling towards the sidewalk on their right. That's my left for those following closely. Their plan was to come out onto the sidewalk nice and close to the wall of one of these corner stores. It was through one of these windows that I caught the movement out of the corner of my eye. 
Looking through the side street window and out onto King Street, there was a left elbow and the back quarter of a person peeking out. This meant that their back was to the wall on King Street and they were turned to face the alley. All signs pointed to a very poor attempt at concealment behind the corner of the store. We're now three paces from the street. I don't care about the guy who's lost at hide-and-seek as a kid. I've made mental notes of where he is. I want that middle prong guy. One pace from the street. Middle prong is now out on the sidewalk and running his mouth at full speed. Still blinded by his words, I take a step out onto King Street and a fist lands squarely against the left side of my face. Some emotions are complex. Love, for example, is not a simple thing. Other emotions are very simple. The emotion that is rage is one of the simple ones. It will blind you to everything except for what you're after. My lizard brain was in control. My intention was to cause acute discomfort to the person that broke my friend's nose. I had seen it coming, the punch that is. I chose to stay on my current path because of rage. I mean, clearly I saw the guy hiding, but I kept coming forward because I wanted that middle prong guy. I had weighed my options and decided that it would be worth it to keep moving forward. And the consequence? Bam! I took a hit right to the side of the head. Freshly sucker punched and motivated to addressing this new actor on our little street stage, I turned to my left. I'm facing the far prong guy. He'd scampered away and hid behind this corner, but unlike mid prong guy, I'm within striking distance. The guy who hit me, I never did find out his name, so let's call him Steve. He had seen too many movies. You know those type, there's going to be two hits, me hitting you and you hitting the floor. Those type films. He had taken his time, he'd aimed, he'd wound back nice and big, just like in the movies, and he'd let fly. After he'd let fly and connected, I can only assume that Steve was betting his target would collapse into a heap. He could then laud triumphant over this pasty demon of the night, he who had so aggressively interrupted their self-ordained distribution of street justice, vanquished at the stroke of his hand. Who knows? Steve's status amongst his little clan may have even been elevated from his moment of glory. That's what might have happened in a movie. The real world is a different place. What happened to him next was far from the cinematic and very real. After Steve landed that golden punch of his, he jarred my thick skull slightly from position, zeroed in on mid-prong guy. Steve didn't plan his next move, so when my head only slightly jarred, and my body didn't, he paused. Steve and I were now close. We were close enough to have a moment together, so that's what we did. I spun my head to face him fully rotated my torso to the left, and took hold of his shirt with both hands in a nice, firm grip. Wouldn't want you going anywhere, Steve. Now, I have to confess that I am not a striker. I never have been and probably never will be. I'm not even a fighter. I just have a firm moral code. With hands that were more used to chopping things and sautéing, throwing a punch was never really anything that came naturally to me. What did come naturally since making my high school varsity wrestling team as a freshman is grappling. It was this instinct that kicked in as my left hand took the shirt around his right shoulder and my right hand reached across and low, closer to Steve's left hip. 
In a simultaneous movement, I widened my stance and lowered my center of gravity. This is called dropping the hips. It allows one to generate a wider base and produce more force. Hands, hips, and feet now set nice and wide. In one big motion, I ripped as hard as I could back toward my right and downward. Now this was a crapshoot for me, but I'm not a striker and, well, we're here now, so I took the gamble. Had he been ready for this and stiffened up or dropped his hips too, this would not have worked in my favor. But Steve wasn't ready and, if you'll recall, he'd seen too many movies. I've always been partial to the laws of nature, especially physics. Equal and opposite forces, the transfer of energy, gravitational law, etc. It was these that I used to educate the person who just hit me in the face as hard as he could. He learned about centrifugal force and inertia. He learned about leverage and force application as he was familiarized with the pavement of King Street. This all happened much faster than in a classroom and much faster than he was prepared for. After all, this was real-world application, no slow motion, no rewind. The group of attackers were all settled down now. They were paying full attention as they stopped their heckling and were processing what had just happened to their friend. I was now standing over Steve and remarking at the lesson dispensed. And then something happened. Maybe it was to make a point. I honestly don't know. Sometimes we just do things that we can't explain why we did them. That's why I can't explain why I now decided to strip off my shirt and howl as loud as I could like a wolf upward into the night. All I can say is that it felt like the right thing to do at the time. I don't even know if it had an intended effect, but it did have an effect. The lesson was now over. I had humiliated the person who attacked me, and the look on the face of the original attacker was now absolute fear. These three scattered up the street. <coughs> These three scattered up the street. These three now scattered up the street and into the Charleston night. I wasn't in any mood for a drawn-out foot chase, so I let it lie. I was left standing, chest heaving, adrenaline surging, alone on the corner of the street. As the few fellow college-aged onlookers saw that the show was over, they now went about their evenings, and I was left to tend to my friend. Mike's nose was pretty well busted up, but he'd be fine. The other guy had no major injuries, and being very grateful, he offered to buy us both a drink. After an event like this, a stiff drink can help calm the nerves. It can help block out the pain of a broken nose also. We later learned that the three assailants had sought to bring pain to Mystery Man over some girl in town. Not a new thing, and not very interesting, so we'll just skip it. What we could relish over is that a larger group looked to take on fewer and less prepared, and the tables were turned on them. Aside from a broken nose, they'd had their plan thrown back in their face, and an outcome was avoided that could have been much, much worse. You know that old saying that karma is a bitch? I have never really agreed with that. In my opinion, karma is a mirror, and you get back what you put in. It may not be directly, but eventually you will. That night in Charleston, these three would-be attackers had a warm slice of humble pie served up on a chilly, cold platter of karma. I hope you've enjoyed this audio presentation of The Karma Wolf, an excerpt from 
Shit Not to Do, Tales from My Younger Years. If there's a lesson to be had here, it's that when you go looking for trouble, you're probably going to find it, but it might not be the trouble you set out looking for in the first place. Thank you for listening. Fitness can be monotonous, but it doesn't always have to be. You are unique and your programming should serve you specifically. Head over to philiplevy.com and see if you're a good fit for one of our custom-tailored programs. That's philiplevy.com, P-H-I-L-I-P-L-E-V-I.com. Let's get after it.